Hello, you're listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast. Whether you're at work, driving in your car, or getting your workout on, we hope and pray that what you hear today will fill your spirit. Come, join us as we walk through God's Word together. And I am, uh, again, uh, honored to be standing before you to continue in our study of the book of Colossians as we're focusing on the supremacy of Christ. I hope that you guys have been blessed by it, one, but I also hope that you've been taking time. Colossians is, is a short book. If there's any book in the Bible that you could read in one setting, it definitely is the book of Colossians. Uh, it's only three chapters, uh, and if <clears throat> you haven't done so, I advise you just to do so so that as we're walking through it kind of section by section, you have a really good sense of kind of what's been said, what's being talked about, and where it's headed, and then we can kind of tie it all together as we kind of deep dive each Sunday uh, and, um, and really uh, try to hear specifically what the Lord is saying to us. I, I always want to uh, acknowledge um, our pastor for uh, sharing the pulpit duties with me. Uh, I'm grateful and thankful for the opportunity to uh, partner with him in the uh, teaching and the preaching through Colossians. And then always am grateful to my wife, my family, my daughter Hannah, uh, my wife Karen for allowing me to pull away and, and to prepare and to do these kinds of things um, as um, I'm given the opportunity uh, to do so. Uh, and um, also just, <laughs> I get excited right? You guys know me. I, I, I cannot wait. It may not sound, I mean, I'm a little bit low-key, but I've got to set myself low so that I don't just go too far overboard. But I'm excited to share with you what the Lord has been sharing with me in this. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to pace myself. You ever seen somebody take off too soon in a race? And then you could even tell it's like, mm, they ain't gonna make it. <laughs> and if I was up here foaming and spitting and kicking stuff over, y'all be like, Charles, going, he ain't gonna make it. He is not going to make it. So I'm trying to be subdued right now, but I'm excited about what I feel like the Lord has shared uh, with um, me this, uh, this time that I've been preparing and that I, that I want to share with you guys. And so um, <laughs> if you didn't get a, a handout, if you would, uh, you can raise your hand, and I think the ushers may have some handouts as well that they can give to you. Uh, and, and the handout is is not so much like, oh, you need to have it, or I can't preach, as much as it is just a place where some questions are for you to capture some information if you are in need. So if you would just raise your hand up high so that don't be ashamed because, yeah, that would be great. Thank you. Uh, and as they're doing that, let me just take a minute to talk a little bit about what the lesson aim is this morning. Uh, our overarching aim of the series, obviously, is for us to get a good picture of what it looks like when a life has been fully, uh, wholly, and completely submitted to the supremacy of Christ. More specifically, though, this morning in this sermon, uh, the aim is for us to understand and to acknowledge that as believers, our lives must be lived in and with Christ only. Let me say that again, that our lives as believers must be lived in and with Christ only. <laughs> and for a uh, sermon topic, it is just that, in and with Christ only. And we're going to be looking at Colossians 2, verses 6 through 15, uh, where you will find these words. Therefore, 
as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him. Actually, I'm sorry, I I meant to say this. If, if uh, If you don't mind writing in your Bible, every time you see in him or with him or through him, just underline it, circle it, highlight it. Um, it's okay, you know, to write in your Bibles. It's, I know you may have grown up in a tradition that felt like you couldn't do that, but it's all right. It's your word. It's your sword. It's your shield. Uh, but this will, it'll, it'll draw the text out, and it'll really be like, ah, I think Paul is trying to get us to realize something here. So let me start all over, uh, beginning at verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him, the wholeness, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing, triumphing over them in him. Did y'all mark all those ends, hymns, and with hymns, and through hymns? When you look at that passage, you see that the focus is about Christ. Yeah, yeah, Paul is talking to us, and he's talking in reference about us, but it really is about Christ. Before I get too far, let me just do a quick word of prayer here. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity, God. Now, 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 now is your time, God. Let us hear specifically from you. Don't let me say anything that is not of you. Speak through me. Speak to your people. God, I stand firmly in the belief and the conviction that when your word is taught, when it is preached, that it changes things. I believe, God, that you are able to cause your word to not return to you void, but to accomplish everything that you sent it forth to accomplish. I am a living witness that there is power in your word. God, it is according to that power that I ask that you would preach this message, that you would speak to our hearts that you would encourage us where we need encouragement, that you would convict us where we need convicting. You would strengthen us where we need to be strengthened. Let us leave here different than how we came in and too uncomfortable to remain the same. 
In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As I was putting this together and really just thinking about everything that Paul has been saying to the Colossians up until now, I couldn't help. My mind went to uh, my college days and, and a professor that I had back at, uh, at Georgia Tech who, uh, his name was Dr. Chin. Dr. Chin at the time, if I recall correctly, I'm pretty sure I recall this correctly, Dr. Chin was from China. He ran his own company in China and he would fly to the States to teach this class and then, you know, fly back to run his company, right? And so Dr. Chin knew uh, mechanical engineering. He knew, and particularly in this particular uh, uh, the class was statics. So statics, I don't want to get too wonky here, but statics is just about how do you um, measure and, and assess forces acting on bodies that are, at, that are at rest. They're not moving, right? So like bridges and structures and things like that. I know people are like, oh, what is this is, what is this? We were talking about trigonometry last week. Now you're talking about statics this week. It's not about the statics. But here, here's the thing, and there's the thing that it got me to when I was thinking about this. I had a test that Dr. Chen gave us, and Dr. Chen, he gave us these little blue books. He'd have these problems. You, you work the problem out in the blue book and give it back to him, and then he'd give you your grade back. And I got the grade back. I was feeling pretty good about the problem I had worked, right? It was this bridge that was supported across this span, and it was a uh, had a triangle tresses going through it, and then there was a weight hanging at the center of the bridge, and it was sitting on these uh, uh, foundations, and I had to calculate the forces and everything and understand what was happening with that bridge. Well, I took my pencil. I got to work. I had my calculator. I was working through it. I was nice with it. At least I thought I was nice with it, and, and I worked it out. I handed it in to Dr. Chin, dropped it off, bounced on out to my next test. So the next week when we come back, I get the little blue book back. And part of me is like, you know, you don't have to tell me, Dr. Chen, I know. <laughs> I mean, if you just go through the formalities, but I already know that I gave you a good, a good test and, and you're going to give me a good grade. When I looked at it, I had a, a, a it, it wasn't quite a zero because there were some other things on it, but it was a much, much lower grade <laughs> than I expected. And when I opened up the book, and we were going through it, and I got to that problem with the bridge, and I was like, I, I said, if anything, I know I rocked this one. And we went through it, and we went through the problem, and, and it came up, and I'm just going to make this number up because I don't remember what it was, but the answer was positive 10. And in my book, I had put negative 10. Hmm. And, I, and, and so after class, I came to Dr. Chen. I said, Dr. Chen, you... you, you uh, can I talk to you for a minute, Dr. Chen? He said, yeah, no, no problem. What's going on? I said, hey, on this problem, you, uh, you know, I, I got everything right. The only thing that wasn't right was the sign. All my work was correct. I said, but you counted it all wrong. I said, don't I get something for having worked the problem all the way to the end correctly? I, all I got was, was a plus minus mix up. I never forget it. I never forget it. Dr. Chen looked at me and he said, yeah, he said, but if this had been a real bridge, it would have fallen. <laughs> you can't say, well, you ain't no yeah, but after that. <laughs> right? And I, I never forgot that. Uh, obviously, I'm telling you now, but, but it always drove home with me, and that's what Dr. Chin was doing, the, the seriousness, Charles, of the major that you selected. You said you wanted to be a mechanical engineer, 
This is what mechanical engineering is about. It's about making sure that bridges don't fall because you got a sign wrong. You're thinking, how does this relate? I, I, I feel like, as I was going through this, I was like, you know what? Paul is playing the part of Dr. Chen for these Colossians. And he's telling them, look, Colossians, you accepted Christ. This is the life you signed up for. And if you add anything to it or take anything away from it, even if it's just a little something, the whole thing falls apart. Hmm. And I don't think we think about it like that. Sometimes we think Christianity is just like another membership. You, you, you belong to the Y? Yeah, I belong to the Y. When's the last time you've been? Oh, I don't know. It's been a while. But I'm still a member. And the Y would say, yep, you're still a member. You in that fraternity? Yeah, I'm in that fraternity. When's the last time you paid dues? I ain't paid dues in a while, but... <laughs> but Paul says, no. What you signed up for, Colossians, what you signed up for, Solid Word, is not just some club membership that you can kind of jump in and then jump out of. You can kind of straddle a little bit, dip your toe in when it's convenient, pull it back out when it's not. And if you're doing that, you're walking on a bridge that can't stand. It's going to fall. It can't withstand the pressures of life. It can't withstand the ebbs and flows that you're going through. It won't be able to hold up under the weight and the scrutiny. And what Paul is doing, right, we've been talking about this as we've been moving through the book of Colossians, is there is, there is some bad doctrine that is threatening the Colossians. This is just by way of reminder so that we kind of get level set again. And, and, and it's because of where they are. They're, they're in this mix. There's all these different cultures, all these different ideas and perspectives. And what they're doing, if you remember, we talked about that, right? They're like, yeah, I got Jesus, but you know what? I think I'll take some of your crystals and add that to my Jesus. And I'll take some of your horoscope and add it to my Jesus. Oh, what, what do you got? You've got some, some candles and some sage. I'll take some of that as well, and I'll add that to my Jesus. <laughs> but it's getting a little heavy, so let's see. Obedience, I'm going to take that away from my Jesus. Studying and reading, yeah, and I'm going to take that out. And now all of a sudden, what I call Christianity is really just a tailored-made way that I want to live my life and still call it what I want to call it. And Paul is pushing into this. He, he's not there with them. He's heard about this, and he's writing to them to say, be careful. <laughs> Watch out. You started well. Remember, he talks about that. You started well. The gospel came to you. I know it came to you because I was hearing of the good things that you were doing, but now there's some other things starting to creep in. Some other, we're going to get to it, philosophies and traditions starting to work their way into your Christianity. And if you're not careful, it's all going to fall apart. Mm -hmm. So here specifically, we came off of last week when Paul is talking about how he labors 
in the ministry on their behalf. Pastor and I talked about this at the end of service last, last Sunday, and, and really Paul is doing this masterful thing where he is not just comparing and contrasting the, the doctrine, the true doctrine of Jesus Christ and this syncretic kind of mix of stuff that they're dealing with there in their culture, but he's also comparing and contrasting the ones who are bringing them that message. He's saying, look, I'm laboring on your behalf. I'm, I'm, I'm praying for you daily. I'm, I'm being put in jail on your behalf. I'm being beat. I'm suffering. I'm sacrificing to deliver you this that was given to me. Where are these other folks who dropped this into your spirit? Who, who posted this on your page? Who sent you this link? Where are they? While you're in this tailspin now of not sure if your Christianity is real, whether Jesus can be believed, whether the Bible, you see what I'm saying? Paul says, look, think about how it's being delivered to you. I'm, I'm walking, doing life with you. I'm laboring on your behalf. Don't be so quick to dismiss when I tell you to stay away from that and move closer to this. So let's move through these verses. There's a lot of verses here, but hopefully as we move through it, it won't feel like there's a lot of verses, but we'll get the truth out of it. We're going to spend a lot of heavy time in 6, 7, and 8, and then I'm going to combine 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 into some chunks because that's where we find the in him and the with him. You, you, you with me? And as we move through this, I'm going to ask you some questions. Don't answer out loud but please do answer the questions. Verse 6, Paul says, <clears throat> Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Uh, and, and we always know that when there is a therefore, we know that there is something that Paul has said before, someone has said before, that, that they're expounding on, right? So right before verse 6, Paul expresses to the Colossians that before, uh, uh, that because I care for you and want to see your good discipline, right, and stability in your faith in Christ, now I'm going to lay out some instructions for you. This isn't even a point, but I do want to make this. We, we have to, especially Christians, <clears throat> Don't be so, that so, nobody can tell you anything, right? We, 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 get, we want everybody's encouragement, but we don't want anybody's admonishment. I want you to affirm everything I'm doing. Don't you criticize anything I'm doing. And then when I fall and hurt myself, I want you to be right there catching me and helping me. and those, you, you see what I'm saying? So, so we, we want relationship, but we don't want all of the relationship. And I think it's important. Paul says, look, because I care for you and want to see you living and walking in a certain way, now I'm about to lay out for you how to do that. Don't get in your feelings. Well, who does Paul think he is? Don't instantly think, well, he must be talking about me. Just listen. 
Apply what needs to apply. Ask for repentance where you need to ask for repentance. Ask for God's help to show you, God, you know what? I'm wrestling with that. I'm not sure I agree with that, but it's in your word, so help me. If one of us is going to change, I got an inkling, it's going to have to be me. So Paul says, let me lay out some instructions for you. And in verse 6, he begins those instructions. And he goes on to tell them first, right, that you have received Christ Jesus, that as you have received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. And at first, right, that might not sound like a lot. It almost sounds like some real high lofty advice you might get from like a fortune cookie or from a magic eight ball. You remember those that you used to shake and it'd just be real generic and, okay, I can apply it to just about anything. Kind of lofty and fluffy without a lot of meat there. But let's take a little time and actually walk through what Paul is saying. When when he says, right, to them that in the same way you received Christ, so walk in him. First, it's clear that Paul is linking how the Colossians received Christ to how they should walk in him. That's obvious. It's just there in the reading of the text. There, There is some kind of cause and effect relationship that Paul is intimating at that he says exists between how they receive Christ and how they should walk in him. And we understand coming from an English perspective what the word receive, what it means to receive something, right? I mean, we're coming up on the Christmas holiday. We all are hoping to receive some things, right, in that time. Um, But we have to ask ourselves in the context that Paul is writing, what is it that he means when he uses the word received? Well, in this context, especially from the Greek perspective, it's, it's more of a technical term. It carries with it the idea of acquiring something based on tradition or reputation or on account uh, of someone else. In other words, Paul is indicating that the Colossians received the person of Christ by means of authoritative teaching about Christ. Something was passed on to them about Christ. (laughs) If we push it a little bit further, what they would have received, and this is just unfolds in the New Testament by way of this teaching, is that Jesus, get this, is the high priest. He's the only one qualified to stand in the gap between God and man and become the sacrifice on behalf of the sins of the world. They would have received also that Jesus is the prophet, declaring God's will and illuminating the scriptures. Literally, get this, God the Son speaking in unity with God the Father about what has been written in scripture. And lastly, they would have received that Jesus is the king, sovereign over all, given all power and authority by God the Father to rule over all creation. Okay, so so we've got some insight, right, into what Paul means when he says, you received Jesus. Now, let's think about how that now relates to walking in Jesus, And this term is pretty straightforward. When Paul says that we should walk, he means that it's how you live. This is a familiar New Testament term in in, in terms of walking being synonymous or symbolic for how we actually live our lives day in and day out from sunup to sundown and everything in between. Now, remember... I said that Paul indicates that there is some kind of cause and effect relationship between receiving Christ and walking in Christ. So 
If we take that premise and apply what we just went through regarding receiving and walking, I think Paul is saying something like this. In the same way, according to the same criteria, the same conditions by which you first received Christ, namely that he is the prophet, that he is the priest, that he is the king, you should also live your lives day in and day out from sunup to sundown like he is the prophet, like he is the priest, like he is the king. Hmm. And in context, Paul is admonishing and encouraging the Colossians to not let the pressures the struggles, the conflicts, the confusion, the doubts, the uncertainty of their environment, which is a mix of, remember, of different cultures and ideas. To not let all of that make them live in a way, make them walk in a way that conflicts with who they say Christ is and how they received Christ. Simply put, their walk should match their talk. Mm-hmm. This brings me to my very first question for you, and that is, if Jesus is the prophet, why don't we listen to him? If Jesus is the priest, why won't we confess our sins before him? If Jesus is the king, why won't we submit our lives to him? Hmm. Verse 7 Paul goes on to say that that, uh, they are rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So after reminding them of who Christ is in verse 6 and what that should mean for how they live their lives, Paul goes on in verse 7 to help the Colossians remember what it is that Christ has done for them. And he points out three critical things. First, he says that they have been firmly rooted. Well, I don't want to get too much into the weeds on this particular point, but it is important to point out and to recognize that in the original Greek, the verb here that's used is in what's called the perfect middle participle, right? And I bring that up only to point out that this verb form implies that this is an act of something that happened to them in the past that they didn't do to themselves, hmm, but it has ongoing effects throughout their whole lives. So this rooting, they didn't root themselves. It happened in the past, but it still has impact on their lives going forward, which naturally leads us to ask, what are those ongoing effects then? Well, that leads to the second thing that I think is revealed in, in verse 7, and that is that Paul wants them to remember that what it is that Christ has done for them, that they are now being built up. But built up into what? If we pull from Ephesians 4 and 13, Paul tells us that the church is being built up into the full stature of Christ. In other words, we're being made to look like Christ. And not just on an individual level. Hmm, get this. (laughs) But this is a whole church community thing. What does that mean? What does that mean? That means that if Shalandra looks like Christ, Karen looks like Christ, Murph looks like Christ, if you all look like Christ and I don't look like Christ, then the church doesn't look like Christ. Yeah, all I hear is rain right now. 
Think about that. Let me help you out. We read the Bible from a Western perspective, right? That's, we can't help it. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it just is what it is. It's because of the culture we live in. Think about this, right? The history of this country, and I'm not getting into every, all the bad, I'm just talking about in general, is all about fleeing a monarch, not wanting to be told what to do, and being free to do what you want to do, being an individual, individually free, individual freedom, right, to do what it is you want to do. That's the romantic view of this country. And we take that, being pulled up by our own bootstraps, I did it on my own, I, you know, I'm my own man, I'm my own woman, I got you, blah, 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 and we have that when we read Scripture. So that when we read Scripture, we feel like it's a personal love letter to us. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that God is not expressing his love for us. But what I am saying is, is that it's bigger than you. It's bigger than me. What God is after is a new humanity, a new community of believers. He will not be satisfied with just me getting it right and just being in eternity, just him, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and and me. For eternity, talking about, well, I, I don't know why they didn't get on board, Lord. But I believed everything. I knew you was, you, you was talking to me when you wrote these things. No, he's after a community, a family, a body. So, so why do I say that? Why am I spending some time here? I, I'm spending some time here because we have to break out of, I'm just okay if I got it. I don't know what's going on with their life, but I'm okay. I'm doing what scripture says. You need to get it together, but me and God are good. But what Paul says is that, look, so here's something else. In the text, we only have one word for you, you. Now, we'll add you all if we're talking to a whole group, but in the Greek, they actually have a plural form of you. In the translation, it just gets translated you. So when I see you, I think me, I. But oftentimes, a lot of these are you all. You all. You all are being built up. You all are being rooted firmly. You all. Not just you individually who goes to Bible study every week and think you're good with God because you're his favorite. But God is at work in the whole body. So that means I'm concerned now with my brothers and sisters walk, not meddling, not trying to tell them what to do, but I'm concerned genuinely. It starts in my prayers. And and if we're being built up, then as a whole church, he wants us to look like Christ. This rooting, this building up in Christ is working to establish 
us, to confirm us in our faith. So Paul says to the Colossians and to us today that when the pressures, when the struggles, when the conflicts, the confusion, the doubts, the uncertainty of your current circumstance, of your cultural environment, when it threatens you, when it makes you question who you are, when it makes you question what you believe, what's right and what's wrong, remember that when you received Christ, you were rooted in him. Not just rooted in him, but he did the rooting. (laughs) So you don't have to worry about working yourself free. He planted you in him. And even though this rooting took place in the past, it has ongoing effects that are working to this day, building you up, shaping you, molding you into the stature, the very image of Christ. Paul says, and as you see this process occurring, individually and collectively, these changes happening, your faith is established. Your faith is confirmed that Jesus is exactly who he said he was and that he is doing in you exactly what he said he would do. Now, I need to have an uncomfortable conversation because some of you may be thinking, well, Minister Wright, you said that this thing happened in the past. It's got ongoing effects. It should be building me up, shaping me, molding me into the stature of Jesus Christ. But I don't think I look any different than I did the day I accepted Christ. Hmm. That might have something to do then in what you're rooted in. Some of us think we are rooted in Christ, but we're actually rooted in church. Elder Wright, I go to church, I go to Sunday school, I'm on this board, I volunteer here, I'm going to the Navajo uh, reservation, I'm not saying anything about those who are going to the Navajo reservation, I'm just using it as an example. But I don't (laughs) think that's happening in my life. Well, it might be because you're rooted in the organization and not in the Christ. He then goes on to say at the end of verse 8, when we remember this, that we have been rooted in Christ and now are being built up to look like Christ, and as a result, have our faith in Christ being confirmed, the natural response should be that we're overflowing with gratitude, that we're grateful, that we are thankful, abounding in thanksgiving, that God, through his Son, Jesus the Christ, not only forgave us of our sins, but he is using the ups and the downs of our lives, the ins and the outs, the mountaintops and the valley experiences to make us look like Jesus Christ. Think about that. I don't think we think about it enough. Well, we don't let ourselves think about it. You, you know, <laughs> you be watching stuff, you're like, I ain't going to cry. I ain't going to cry. I'm not going to let it. Let it. Let it seep in. Think about, no one in here knows better than you how messed up not only you were, you are. And in full light of that, God still says, I'm going to make you look like my son Jesus Christ. Thank you for the few that clap. Let me help some others out here. I've got some notes. We who were once far off 
have now been brought near. We who were once lost have now been found. We who were blind have now been given sight. We who were once headed to hell. Oh, you do know that you were headed to hell. You weren't just rough on the edges. You had a seat, a reservation. They are still wondering when you're checking in. You were headed to hell. Have a place prepared for us now in heaven. We who had earned death because of our sins are now co-heirs with Jesus the Christ. Y'all don't get it. We who were once enemies of God can now cry out, Abba, Father. Mm, mm, mm. Question number two. How, how is it that you're not jumping and running in the aisles right now? No, that's not my question. <laughs> that's not my question. Well, my question on the inside. Because I'm doing all I can do to stay behind this podium. Maybe it's because I know the thoughts that I have. I know what I still wrestle with even today. Standing here preaching God's word and still having to ask for forgiveness for where my thoughts go, where my eyes go, where my heart goes, what I desire, what my attitudes are. And yet and still he calls me friend. and fits me for service in his kingdom to bring others into his... Ah. Question number two. You do, knew, you do know that what we look like <laughs> or that we will look like what we're rooted in. Yeah, you show me a plant that's producing some bad fruit, I'll show you a plant that's planted in some bad soil. The question is, how you looking? Do you look more like Jesus or do you look more like the world, the environment in which you've been placed? Mm -hmm. Verse 8 Paul goes on to say, see to it <laughs> that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Paul, having laid some serious groundwork in verses 6 and 7, now gives them a warning in verse 8 that is wrapped in an imperative, which is a fancy word for a command. He's about to tell you what to do. Get your feelings off your sleeves and just accept it. The imperative is in the see to it. In other words, Paul is commanding the Colossians, be watchful, be on the alert, stay on your toes, be vigilant. Uh, let, me, let, me, <laughs> let me just do this real quick. Uh, show of hands, real quick. How many people here think of themselves as independent thinkers? Not, not as sheep just following the crowd, right? I mean, I'm, I'm raising my hand. I, I feel like I'm an independent thinker, right? <clears throat> and we pretty much arrive at, right, what we like, what we don't like, what we think is cool or isn't cool, what we believe or don't believe in, kind of on our own. <clears throat> but do you know that every interaction that we have 
involves some level, some kind of an attempt by one party to influence the other party to think or believe something. Well, just think about it. The most obvious one is just like in movies. Product placement. You ever been watching a movie and be like, yeah, there's a Coke on the car. Did that box say, you know, did that say Cheerios on the refrigerator? You know, those kinds of things. Think about TVs. We all know commercials. Clearly, they're trying to influence us to believe and to think something. That's why they have commercials. My daughter knows it it is the bane of my existence to be watching something streaming and to get seven commercials that I can't fast forward through, three of which are the same commercial. So they are like, look, we are going to drill this into you, (laughs) whether you want it or not. But to push it even further, think about social media. There are actually people who are called influencers. They get paid to influence you. Folks who have YouTube channels, people, uh, marketing companies or product companies say, hey, would you eat Oreos next time you do your thing? We'll pay you some money. And they're just talking to you about what they did with their dog eating some Oreos, and you think, ooh, they like Oreos. They were paid to eat them Oreos. And that's because the Oreo bigwigs know that if you see them eating Oreos, I'm not saying you're going to rush out and go buy some Oreos, but you will be like, them Oreos looking pretty good. As a matter of fact, I think I might want, you you see what I'm saying, how it kind of goes. Look, even one-on-one interactions, we're trying to influence each other. This is a (laughs) a perfect example. If if you stop me and I tell you, you ask me, Charles, how was your day? And I say, well, it was horrible. And you say, well, it happened. I will proceed to try to convince you that my day was horrible. And will feel a certain kind of way if you respond, Bustle, and it wasn't so bad. Because I'm trying to get you to come with me. Look, right now, I'm trying to influence you. (laughs) So we we think we're moving through just, you know, every thought I've got is my own thought, and it's, it's original, and these kinds of things, but every interaction we have is someone tugging and pulling and pulling and pushing us in a certain direction. Influencing is all around us. No one's mind is free from influence. As a matter of fact, right, uh, it's not so much that influencing is wrong. It's more about what are you being influenced towards? Hmm. Right? If it's it's to get a Whopper instead of a Big Mac, that's no big deal. If it's to drink a Pepsi instead of a Coke, okay. Some of you might think that's a sin, but. (laughs) But if it's to get me to go against what God has clearly stated in his word, now we've got an issue. And the warning, right, that Paul is giving to the Colossians and that he, by extension, is giving to us is that there are active forces trying to take you and me captive. Not just trying to nudge you they're trying to grab hold of you so that even if you recognize oh my goodness how did I get here I can't I'm stuck and so I find myself doing things that 
I know aren't right. I know I shouldn't be, but I'm captive. They're trying to put us in bondage, trying to take away our freedom that is in Christ. And Paul says that these forces come upon us in two ways, through philosophy and empty deceit. Now, philosophy is one of those words whose meaning is derived literally from the parts of the word. Philo, love, Sophia, wisdom. It is the love of wisdom, literally. And Paul pairs this philosophy or love of wisdom with empty deceit. And to the ears of most of us, right, living kind of in our current contemporary context, this seems a bit harsh. What's wrong with loving wisdom, Shady? As a matter of fact, uh, 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 Proverbs is a book of wisdom. Is there anything wrong with wanting to be wise? But if we keep reading, what we would see is that this love of wisdom isn't a love of wisdom according to God. But... Paul tells us it is according to human tradition and according to elemental spirits of this world. There's so much here. We don't have a whole lot of time to deal with this. This love of wisdom, though, it is a love of human wisdom. It is a wisdom that is based in human understanding, human intellect, and human reasoning. (laughs) I thought about this the other day. Do you know? that there are plant species in the Amazon rainforest that we have not, don't even know exist, scientists uh, hypothesize, have not cataloged yet. That there are places in the ocean that we have not explored yet, right? But despite the fact that we are limited even in the world we inhabit, We still believe as men, humans, that we have the intellect and the reason and the wherewithal to begin to talk about what is and isn't. I don't even know what all is in the Amazon rainforest, but I can tell you (laughs) about some absolute things. Paul says that it's also based on something else, though. Now, the Colossians, and it's a little lost on us now in our contemporary reading, they would have understood completely what Paul is saying here. But we don't live in their reality. And what exactly Paul means when he says elemental spirits or teachings, as some of your translations may say, is a little gray for us. Some scholars think that he's also, that he's referring to a belief in earthly spirits, that roam the earth, right, and that needed to be feared and also needed to be appeased. Others suggest that it may be pointing to the Colossians' failure to kind of grow in their own faith, which has led them to be caught up in elementary kinds of things, simple things. But I don't think we need to spend too much time. Christians, we get into all these debates about, uh, well, what does this mean, what does this mean? It doesn't really matter what it means because Paul tells us that whatever it means is not according to Christ, So if it's the scariest thing you can think of or the most benign thing you can think of, it's not according to Christ. Meaning that when you look at these philosophies, when when we look at these empty deceptions, as Paul calls calls them, they are promoting and what they are saying, what they are advocating for, you cannot draw a straight line from them to what Christ Jesus teaches or at least not what Christ Jesus of the Bible teaches. 
I can create an image of Christ who would get down with all of that stuff, but it wouldn't have anything to do with how Scripture describes Jesus. So in other words, Paul tells the Colossians, look, you all better stay alert. You better be on your guard and make sure that you don't get caught up in worldviews and ways of thinking that are based in man's intellect and man's understanding of the world. But instead, you need to make sure that your worldview, your way of processing what's happening around you is based in Christ. The prevailing worldview or philosophy today is an absolute rejection of absolute truth and an embrace, right, of relative truth. Absolute truth means that that some things are true for everyone, everywhere, and every time. Relative truth means that some things are true for you, some things are true for me. But your truth is just as valid as my truth. My truth is just as valid as your truth. And when it comes to kind of truthiness of it all, right, all truth claims are equal. It is interesting, though, that the rejection of absolute truth actually establishes an absolute truth. For me to say there is no absolute truth is to establish an absolute truth. So it kind of spins out on itself. But let me tell you something else. There's something more spiritually devious happening here. We don't think about it because when we first think about it, we kind of get, we can kind of understand how, well, okay, people in different cultures from different countries, I get it. There's some differences that, and and this may be acceptable there, not acceptable here, those kinds of things. And we can almost work our way to that notion. But let me, let me pull back the curtain a little bit because absolute truth which is a truth that is true for everyone, everywhere, and every time, could only be established by an omniscient, omnipresent, you see where I'm headed, (laughs) omnipotent God. He's the only one who could declare absolute truth. So it's an in-run round way of saying there is no God. If there is no absolute truth, there is no God. Because if there is an absolute God, then anything that comes from his mouth is absolute truth. You see, this is why Scripture tells us that the forces that are at work in the world aren't just folks that don't quite know what's going on, but it's dark forces. Forces that, despite what people may be thinking, are working against God. And even in this, in what seems at first as a, okay, no absolute truth, I get there, really is is kicking foundation from underneath an all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, eternal God. At the end of the day, we will be influenced by something or someone. We will adopt a worldview. Jesus says, why not be influenced by me? And adopt my worldview. Matthew 11, 29. Shalandra, you made reference of this. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. You know what a yoke is, right? A yoke was put on the back of beast of burden. It hooked them to the plow so that they would pull it, but it also allowed the farmer to direct them 
to influence them. Why? Because he wanted to take them every which way? No, because he wanted that line to be straight. Right? Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Let me influence you. Question number three, whose yoke are you wearing? Who is controlling how you show up, how you act, what you think is funny, what you think is cool, what you think is right, what you think is wrong? <laughs> now, if you're taking notes uh, or have the handout, this is the part we're going to talk about the in him section, the with him section, the statements that Paul makes. We've already encountered two of those in hymns in verses 6 and 7 where Paul tells the Colossians to walk in Christ and that they are being built up in Christ. In the next six verses, in Christ or with Christ is featured prominently. So like I said, let's take 9, 10, 11 together as a block. In verse 9, Paul says that the whole fullness of deity dwells in him, in Christ. And here, he is just reiterating what he said earlier in Colossians 1 and 19. You remember, we talked about that when he said that it actually pleased God to have his fullness dwell in Christ. Again, this is just a reminder of exactly who Christ is. Keep in mind, Paul has warned the Colossians not to follow human philosophy, not to follow empty deceit, that he would have them, that, that not they would have them, but this empty deceit and this human philosophy would have them believe that Jesus is just a good teacher, just a good man, just a positive example. Paul says, no, he is the embodiment of God. Everything that God is, Jesus is and can be seen in him. Paul then uses this reminder of the deity of Christ, right, to then delineate three results of his deity, three outcomes. And we see that in verse 10. First, Paul says that because Christ is God, then the Colossians have been filled in him. In other words, for the believer, we are actually made full. We are made complete in Christ. Christ meets all of our spiritual needs. You don't have to take Jesus and sprinkle some other stuff on him. He is totally what we need. <laughs> he meets all of our needs spiritually. Secondly, Paul says that Christ is the head of all rule and authority. Again, he reaches back to what he has said earlier in the letter in Colossians 1 and 16 when Paul says that all things, whether they are on earth or in heaven, whether they are visible or invisible, thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities were created by Christ, through Christ, and for Christ. And it is a clear statement that there is nothing, hear this, absolutely nothing, no situation, no circumstance, no bondage, no addiction, no mindset, no habit, no desire, no lust, nothing that Christ isn't supreme over. Hmm. Thirdly, Paul says that we have been circumcised by a circumcision that wasn't performed by hands. And that resulted in us putting off the flesh of our bodies, right? And he is drawing, of course, on the long-held tradition of circumcision amongst the Jews as an indication of their covenant with God. It's a process that was performed on infant males to remove flesh. And he says that because of Christ, we no longer need a physical circumcision. 
because we've experienced a spiritual circumcision that has removed death and sin that reigned in our flesh. And we can't miss Paul's flow of thought here because he just got through talking about not being caught up in human philosophy and empty deceit that's not aligned with Jesus. And this is why, because for all of the warm and fuzzies that human philosophy and worldviews can bring us, they can't make us whole spiritually. They can't free us from the bondage of sin because they are fundamentally disconnected from Jesus the Christ. Hmm. Paul goes on to say in the last section that what happened to Christ physically also happened to us spiritually because we've been joined to him through baptism. A little bit of historical background about baptism as performed by the Jews. It was a transfer of identity. What does that mean? It was a rite that non-Jews went through when they came to believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And once they were baptized, they were considered a part of Israel. Why is that? Well, it's because Israelite identification was rooted in the Exodus them passing through the Red Sea. And all descendants of those who went through the Exodus, who went through the Red Sea, were obviously grandfathered into the Exodus. But those whose descendants didn't go through had to do something to identify with Israel. And so they were baptized as if they were passing through the Red Sea of the Exodus. This is why. When John the Baptist is baptizing in the wilderness, this is a radical thing because he's calling Israelites to come be baptized. He's saying, in effect, you who think you're Israel aren't Israel. And you yourself need to be baptized into the body. Push it even further. When Jesus shows up, this is why John the Baptist says, whoa, I shouldn't baptize you. You should baptize me into What is the real Israel? I say all of that to say this, that with that context, Paul reminds the Colossians that when they accepted Christ, they were joined to him, baptized into him, if you will. And because of that spiritual joining, that signifying act of being baptized into him, that fidelity that comes from that, that union with Christ, they were also buried with him. And we're raised to new life in him (laughs) by the power of God. The wages of sin are death. My sin deserved my death. Christ died on the cross so that I wouldn't have to pay that price. But it doesn't happen just on its own. I have to identify with that death on the cross. I have to connect myself with that so that his death covers the death debt that I pay, that I owe. The act of being baptized that we do here is symbolic. It doesn't save anybody, but it's a representation of what they were doing way back in the Jordan River that said, for you to be a part of this, you need to go through this same experience. Paul says, that we have that in Christ. And it's just another thing that human philosophy and empty deception 
cannot achieve. Finally, verses 14 and 15, Paul puts an exclamation point on everything by highlighting that on the cross, Christ canceled the record of debt. He canceled the record of debt, not just canceled our debt, but even the record that we owed a debt has been canceled. The proof that there was a balance due. When, 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 he, when he looks and we show up in glory and he looks, he's like, yeah, I, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't see Charles. I, I, I don't see anything in here, but when I look at you, you look like somebody that I know. <laughs> Jesus, come here. Do you recognize this individual? Jesus comes and he says, well, he, Daddy, he looks like me. <laughs> he must be one of my brothers. He must be one of my co-heirs. Come on in. The record of my debt has been canceled. Paul then circles back again to, to a point he keeps making and hitting on, which is the supremacy of Christ, when he explains that God the Father disarmed the rulers and the authorities. He took away their weapons, their ability to wage war, to subdue and to capture, and then he embarrassed them in public by defeating them in Christ. Oh, we don't think about it like that. We, we think about, oh, they, they did my Jesus wrong. They mistreated him and put him on that cross. But Paul says, yeah, God was up to something in that moment, that he was taking back control of the kingdoms of the world, that spiritual powers and principalities that had held his creation under its thumb for far too long were now going to have to give up the keys because of the work that Christ did on the cross. In conclusion, if you have received Christ, act like it. Time out for all these mealy-mouthed, sometimey, one foot in the world, one foot in the church, so-called Christians. Stop being led by the nose, by everything you hear on TV, every little thing you read online, every little thing your non-church-going, non-believing friends tell you. And stand firm in Christ. Why? <laughs> because in him you have been firmly rooted. In him, you are being built up. In him, all the fullness of the deity dwells. In him, you have been made complete. In him, all rule and authority are found. In him, your record of debt has been wiped clean. And with him, the old you has been buried. With him, the new you has been raised to life. With him, you are co-heirs. That's Colossians 6 through 15. It took a little bit. I'm sorry. It won't take you this long to read it on your own. But this stuff, I tell you, some, you know, I, used to, I had a, a, a minister, pastor, preacher once who was like, look, you, if you can't get up there and say it in 20 minutes, it, you, it's taking you too long. And I held on to that for a while. I prided myself on Introduction, three points, and a close before the mic got hot in my hand. But the Lord is bringing me, maturing me, and letting me know that, Charles, some of these folks are going to go home and sit and watch a three, four-hour football game. 
that no one related to them is playing in? That when the team they want to win wins, they ain't going to get nothing in the mail? They will sit through commercials. They will hold the bathroom, that they, their bladder. They will do all sorts of things for some stuff that will burn up in the fire. Now, look, I'm telling you as one who's about to go home and watch my football team. But what I'm telling you is that I'm, he's, he's helping me put it in perspective. For some of us, this is the first time we've thought about God. And if I can't give him an hour and a half out of a week, then maybe I'm not rooted. And I know that's hard. I know we don't want to hear that. But I would much rather tell you you're on the wrong road than watch you skip happily down that road and nudge to the person next to me, they're on the wrong road. Right. So like I said, time out for playing church. Time out for being content with just having a Bible. Time out for just being content with having a church that you go to. Time out for being content with knowing some biblical facts and some information. Time out for being active at your church. Time out for giving to church. Do you know Christ? Do you know him? Not know about him. Do you know him? Have you accepted his sacrifice on your behalf? Have you acknowledged, yeah, I need you. I can't do this. I've got thoughts in my mind. I've got things in my heart. I've got habits and desires and all kinds of stuff that shows me that I need some help. And Christ, I take the help that you give. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what it means right now. All I know is that I need it. And he says, that's the perfect place for you to be. Because like we just read, he will then root you. He will firmly plant you. He will build you up. You don't need to do it. That's the whole point. (laughs) We can't do it. But glory be to God that we have a Savior that says, come unto me. If you just come, I'll do the rest. This time is for you. If there's anyone who wants to know Jesus like that, not just that he was born, not just that he taught, not just that he was crucified, that he was raised from the dead, but wants to know him as their personal Lord and Savior, this time is for you. You can see me. You can see one of the elders, deacons, see who you came with. But if you've got that question in your heart, do not leave here. Do not leave here without getting that answer. It's so serious. So serious. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, 
that even now we can read what you inspired Paul to give to the church in Colossae. And what we see, God, is that although separated by centuries, nothing has changed. We still struggle with the same things. We still come underneath the same attacks. We still need Jesus. God, I pray that we would see and that we would understand that a life apart from Christ is a life that will fall, it will crumble. It will not be able to stand underneath the weight. And that as believers, in Christ and with Christ is the only way we should be living. God, remove anything from our lives that is not pleasing in your sight. Root us firmly in you. Build us up. Prune what you need to prune. Remove dead branches that need to be removed. Cut back hedges that need to be cut back. Till up, brokers, till up the soil. Break up the fallow ground. Do what you need to do in our lives to produce the fruit that you want. God, I pray that you would be with us through this week, that this word would not soon depart from us, and that as we continue going through the book of Colossians, that you would shine a light not only on your word but on our hearts and that we would hear clearly what you are saying to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You've been listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast, and we trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at solidword.org. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next week.